politicians were at each other's throats. I mean, just ripping each other apart. Wars were being fought on every level, like, like global and, and territorial and community, just wars and battles. Life swirled fast and furious here in Acts when, church, when the church, us, was beginning. Right, people wondered sometimes as the Apostle Peter voiced in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, he said, How do we get out of this sick and stupid culture? How do we transform it? Everything's going to H E double hockey sticks in a handbasket. Right? Does that sound familiar? Right? A little bit? Right? You just gotta look around. Right? It sounds familiar, and yet. Founder Church, somehow amidst this environment, God still built his church. Because there's power, right? Just like we sang about, there's power in our God and with our God and in his name. So God still built his church, and they stood around, figuratively here, amazing tables that we can still step up to today and make a difference. So let's look at how they built these tables. Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 42. Let me turn there now. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And then verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And then the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now this was their model. This was their blueprint. This was their, their building plan on how to create these tables, right? How to, how to start the church, all right, this was their model. All right, and we know this because the next time a great number, like that same language, was used, it was the same verbatim, right? They did the same thing, and more people were added to their community, right? You can read about that in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. So over and over again, the people of God, as they were building his church, this is how they embraced each other. This is how they embraced community. This is how they embraced growth. And this is how they built the table that they were going to live their lives around together. So let, let's, let's break it down. Let's start at the beginning. What did it say in, in scripture there? It said, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Right, I'll just underline that or highlight that in your Bible. All right, let's break down this story. Right before this verse, 3,000 people had just been baptized. Right, They heard that sermon I talked about, and they gave their life to Christ. They chose him, and they did something about it, and they were 
baptized, right? 3,000 people heard the, the gospel message, and they, they take it down into their heart, and then they do something about it. They get baptized. And, the, and then, what is the first thing that they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first thing they become is learners. Think about that. The first thing they become is people who learn. And the apostles are all about teaching them. All right, so the, the, the first leg of their table, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but if we had like just one leg, not very good, right? right? But, so the first leg that they put on there, the first leg of their table is equipping growth. Right? They, they, they dedicated themselves to growing, to equipping each other, to, to talking about the apostles' teaching, all the gospel stories. They equipped each other. They, they had conversations about it, and then they did something with it. Right? It might have been tempting to, for those early believers to look back to Pentecost, to that sermon, and recall what the Holy Spirit had worked in such a dramatic way and think, we don't need to learn. Right? It would have been tempting for them to think that because they, they saw God move in a mighty and powerful way. They just like, we don't need to learn. We just need more of that spirit. We don't need the apostles when we have the spirit to teach us. We'll just sit here and wait. Interestingly, when Luke says that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in these 3,000, he says nothing about the, the wind or the fire or the tongues. He says they became learners. Right? The, the signs and the wonders... They come, but it starts with learning. They sat at the apostles' feet, hungry for instruction, and the apostles taught them all that they could. When the, the Spirit of God invades our lives, Founder Church, that's what he does. He makes us hungry for God's truth. He, he makes us hungry for growth. He, he drives us to grow. And those of us who are our elder saints, we stand at the table with them and we teach and we communicate back and forth. We bring them alongside us, just as we say, guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. We bring people alongside us and we show them what they can do with God's word, with the, the power of his spirit in them. Right, this is so, there's so much said for learning and equipping one another. And those of us uh, who have, have just been baptized, usually we're, we're hungry and we're excited and we want to learn everything that we can. And we, we go to a, a bookstore and we buy every book that ha might even have the word Bible in it or, or like Jesus in it. We buy it and we don't even know. Right? Oh, okay. Right? We, we get all these books and, and we're excited. And sometimes us Christians, we need to remember that excitement. But we also need to use the knowledge that the Holy Spirit has given us and equipped us with. Right? Growth best happens in community at the table. Right? And so what is the next thing that is listed there in Acts chapter 2 that we read? All right? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now this just isn't any old fellowship. The, the word for fellowship here in the Greek, in the original, not to nerd out here, is the word koinonia. It comes from the Greek word koinos, which very literally means common, right? In the sense of being shared by all. 
That's what the fellowship word here that we read means. Now, this doesn't mean that everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. It means that our entire relationship, us as a community, as a local outpost of God's kingdom, centers around one common world-changing belief. Right? Look, look at with me at 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, just in the, the back of the New Testament here, and I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that we you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Right, so the one thing, right, the, the one thing that forges our Christian community, the koinonia, uh, that we have in common is Jesus Christ crucified. Right, that, that's the thing that we can all hang our hats on, that Jesus came into this world, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and went to the cross to pay a price that none of us could pay for us, that he defeated death, that he gave us an opportunity to have eternal life with the Father. One author put it this way. He said this. He said, the koinonia, the community part, uh, com- commonality partnership, fellowship, which the first Christians shared, wasn't a common love for pizza, pop, and a nice clean evening of fun among the fellow churchified. It was their common Christ. Christ King. That's what it means. It was their common king and their common life or death mission together in his summons to take the faith worldwide, right, we have something to do, to take the faith worldwide in the face of impending persecution. David Mathis. So there and our fellowship is in Jesus and his spirit. They had become fellow heirs, right, both Jew and Gentile. People who had nothing in common now were fellow citizens together in the kingdom of God. From the top to the bottom, the gospel creates community like no other. All right? It's the second leg of our table. It's the second leg of our fellowship. The fellowship is probably the most important. Right? Without it, there would be no other legs to stand on. Right? So without it, we'd just be in trouble. So the, the second leg is the anchoring truth of fellowship, right? So we, we, we have the anchoring truth of fellowship. The, the gospel of Jesus, the good news, is what makes the other things seem not so important, right? When, when you look around our church, even our, our community right here, our small community, you'll see people from different countries. You will see uh, differently people of political, different sides of the aisle, you'll see different socioeconomic positions, you'll see lawmen, you'll see soldiers, you'll see teachers, you'll see politicians, you'll even see some lawbreakers, all right? Danny, all right? But once we step up to the table, once we step up to the table and anchor ourselves to the truth that Christ died, the king died for all of us, Well, all those other things, they become number two. Jesus is number one. Right? All the other things that this this that would separate us and divide us, they are forgotten, and we are all anchored together under the cross of Christ. 
and his call, his mission for us. You know, the, the women's group is going through a Bible study of the book of Jude, and I'm obviously not in it. And I, I you know, they have good snacks, though, I heard. Uh, but Christina shared with me something interesting about the first verse in the book of Jude. As Jude is introducing himself, he says that he is a servant of Christ and the brother of James. So that's how he starts the letter. He says, hey, I'm Jude, and I am a servant of the king, and my brother is James. Now, what's interesting about that is that James is also the brother of Jesus. And so if Jude is the brother of James, then Jude is also the brother of Jesus. But he doesn't claim that, right? Jude claims the truth that Jesus was more than just his earthly brother. He's his king. Think about that. And Jude claims the truth of following Christ above all else. That is what we are called to do in Christian community. We are called to lay all the other stuff aside and stand firm on the one anchoring truth, Jesus, our king, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, God in the flesh, incarnation, right, Christmas, went to the, the cross for us, died a horrible death was crucified, went into the grave. Then he kicked that stone away. And he came out and he established his church and he gave us a mission. That's our truth. Right? So let's keep reading. What, what happens next? Right? It says there in Acts chapter 2, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. I found a church... We got this one down. <laughs> All right? Found a church. We got this one down, don't we? I mean, eating, right? Next week, we're having soup together, right? The youth group, they're going to have chili at, in the evening, uh, right? We, even the kids are ordering at the hotel omelets that they're not supposed to order, right? I can't blame them. I would have done the same thing. And each week during our small groups, we have desserts. We just eat, right? Heck, I, I, I know of more than one of you guys who got here early today so you could get the bagel that you wanted before we ran out of your favorite kind, right? It's just the way it is, right? We got this breaking bread thing down to a science here at the foundry, but it's more than that, isn't it? When we read it, right? Breaking bread together for the Jewish people, that was a, that was a big event, if we look back at their history, right? Meals were more than just something you enjoyed because the, the food tasted good. Meals were, were an event that could last hours, and often they often did, right? They ran all day. When I first started dating Christina, she invited me to an Easter lunch with her dad's side of the family. I, of course, said, sure, of course, yes, right? Because their family, they, they had spaghetti and meatballs, they're Italian, and that's what they did. So I was like, sign me up, right? I'll be there. What she didn't tell me, though, was that when her family got together for Easter lunch, it wasn't just an hour or even two hours. It was like 10 hours. It was all day, right? It was an all-day thing where, where there was stories and there was teasing and there was eating more than a few helpings of meatballs. And then there was an Easter egg hunt that they made me be a part of because I wasn't yet married. It was weird. And then there were games. And then there was more breaking bread together. Right? And that's what breaking bread together means. It's a time to slow down. 
It's a time to slow down and to get, get to know the man that you're standing next to at the table. To get to know them. It's about laughing with each other, yes, but it's also about being real with each other. Like we do in our small groups. Right? Being real with each other. Right? It's about sharing another meal. Right? It's also about sharing another important meal. Like we do each week. Not just the bagels. But communion. The Lord's Supper. Right? This other breaking of the bread. Right? Communion or the Lord's Supper is a tradition given to the church by Jesus himself. Which calls us to remember his death on the cross. Right, the, the thing that we're anchoring ourselves to. Right, for us who believe it is a unique and powerful way of breaking bread together, preaching the gospel to each other. As the broken bread symbolizes his broken body and the cup symbolizes his shed blood. So we do this together as a church each week. And in doing so, we are preaching the gospel, the story of Jesus, who he is. Right, that anchoring truth to ourselves and to each other. It's a gift to the entire church. Believers, right, we're, we're, we're welcome to come to the altar during this time of gathering, of stepping up to the table, of breaking bread as we believe the gospel, as we repent of sin, and we rejoice in our great God that we forge our life on. Right? He, even in 1 Corinthians, when Paul's teaching about communion, he says, hey, communion's a time to make sure your heart is straight between you and your fellow man. Right? If you got some hostility with each other, Work that out. Step up to the table. Work that out before you break bread here. Right? If you got something you need to repent of, lift that up to God before you come up here and take communion. It's breaking bread. It's getting this right grounding together with God. So it's just meals all around, right? Also, that's, that's kind of why here at the Foundry, at least, we do that in such a communal way instead of just kind of all of us sitting in our seats, we get up and we kind of go out to the sides. Even though it's a little bit of holy chaos, right? We're bumping into each other. It's an opportunity to say, hey, brother, as we head up to take communion, right? As we, as we interact and as we, we're singing together when we get back to our seats, it's community, right? So, so the night that Jesus, when he instituted this part of the meal, and sharing a big meal first, like an actual meal, he goes on to this communion meal. He sat with his best friends, he broke the bread with them, and they were honest with each other about what's coming next. And the breaking of the bread together is not just about the food, it's about welcoming authenticity. Right? So that's, that's our table. Right? So that's, that's a third leg. It's welcoming authenticity. It's welcoming authenticity with our God saying, hey, I forged my life on everything but you this week. Forgive me. It's me saying to my brother, hey, let's clear the air. Because we've anchored ourselves to the truth. We could trust that in each other's heart. So that's a leg, the third leg of our table. This table of Christian community is about eating, yes, but it's about something else that happens around the table. Authenticity. Right? It's about joy and hope and honesty and fighting for a cause together and fighting for each other together. Right? When we break bread together, when we are authentic with one another, it's, it's not only on me to get myself back on the path, but it's also on others standing with me at the table right? you, who have been breaking bread with me. And so they can be authentic with me. They can be honest with me for, for us to have this awareness 
to spot me drifting away and help me and pull me back to forging a lifelong reliance on God. So breaking bread together, it's a little messy, and sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. Right? Anyone who's been in a small group, sometimes you share things, sometimes you have to have a conversation with each other about being honest, right? But it's also fun, it's also hilarious, it also tastes good, right? It's honest, it's hopeful, and it welcomes authenticity. And let's look at the last kind of leg of our table. And it starts in verse 44 where it says this, And all who believed were what? Together, and all had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In chapter 4, it says it like this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that they belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now everyone take a deep breath. All right? This is not when I tell you to sell everything you own and bring it to the church tomorrow. Like we're going to have a big yard sale out there with everything that we own. This is not what this verse is saying. Right, let's look at the context here. Right, all these people had come to Jerusalem for regular reasons, for uh, Passover, for different things. Some were, were Jews celebrating Pentecost. Some were Gentile, non-Jews that were making trades or, or visit family. Right, those 3,000 that the church started with, right? They were there for different reasons, all good reasons. And now they find themselves fully committed to God and Jesus in this new church this movement, this way. And they were, because of that, at that point in their context, they were refugees, right? If they were Jewish, they might not even, even know, now find, they might find themselves alone. Their family might have ostracized them, right? Because now they're following Jesus, right? Without a family, without a way of living, maybe their, their job had something to do with the temple and now, now they don't have that job. Right? Maybe, maybe there, there was a family business, and some of them we know from, from the early church fathers, they were kicked out of their, their family business because they started following Jesus. Right? This generosity that's being talked about in Acts was one that was radical, yes, but it was necessary to meet the needs of this rapidly growing church. Without permanent homes and jobs in Jerusalem and Judea, those who stayed in Jerusalem to learn more about being followers of Jesus, stay there and learn and then take it back to their communities, they needed special support from their Christian community. So if people did not give, people would not survive. Right? This is not some early form of communism, as one commentator wrote. He said it like this. Communism says, what is yours is mine, I'll take it. Koinonia, right? This fellowship, this church, this beginning says, what is mine is yours, I'll share it. Right? Embracing Christian community is standing at the table. And those that have, have seen this and see a need, they're going to do something about it. It's standing at the table and meeting the needs of those in your community. This fourth leg, right? This leg of transforming generosity. It's me standing at the table with someone and saying, oh, you have a need. Oh, I have something that can fill that need, and vice versa. 
Right? It's transforming generosity. Right? When we stand at the table and we see the needs of those that God has placed in our sphere, there's no better response than to share what God has given us. So let me give you an example. In the book, God So Loved He Gave, Justin Boger shares the story of a homeless woman named Tammy who lived under a bridge in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, after providing Tammy with some of the basic hygiene supplies, he didn't hear from her for a few weeks until she called and said that she had been raped. After Boger, the uh, pastor, brought her to the hospital, Tammy started attending Boger's church. The church also started providing vouchers so she could buy food and other items that she would need. Uh, but Boger said that that created a problem. Tammy kept giving the vouchers and the gift cards away to other people. And Boger told her, Tammy, you need to keep this for yourself. Otherwise, you'll run out of food and, and supplies that you need. But, but living under the bridge meant, right, she was living with other needy people. And it was unthinkable for her to receive a gift and then not share it with others. So with like this like death stare, he says, she looked at him and she said this, why can't I give some too? Right? All right, Tammy, right? Why can't I give some too? Right? For those of us who have received so generously from the Lord material and in mercy and in grace and in truth, why can't we give some too? Right? Better yet, why wouldn't we give some too? And with that, right, we have built our table and we can fully embrace our Christian community. And when we do that, what does it say will happen there that we read? What does it say in Acts chapter 2? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now look, look at it. Is that just means, hey, their group got bigger, they got more influential, there was more power, there's more butts in the seats? No. What does it say? Day by day those who were being saved. Those receiving freedom. Grace, eternal life, a purpose that they were created to live, that only they were created to live. When we truly embrace all these things, we can't help but grow the table and put leaf in after leaf and after leaf until the entire culture around us is changed for the glory of God and for his honor. And so as I call the band back up here today, let me close with one story. There was a, uh, an Egyptian soldier. His name was uh, uh, Pacocmius. All right, I don't know if I'm saying that Pacocmius. Am I saying that right, Christina? No, you know how to say it. <laughs> say it out loud. Pacocmius. All right. He was an Egyptian soldier, won to Christ by the kindness of Christians and Thebes. So this, this, this Egyptian soldier, after he was released from the military around A.D. 315, he was baptized. He heard about Jesus, he gave his life to Christ, he was baptized. Serious about his new faith and determined to grow, he became a disciple of Palamon, an, an uh, ascetic who, who taught him the, the self-denial and solitary life of a religious uh, hermit was the way to go. So in early Christianity, the model of devotion was to be a recluse, 
right, dedicated to, to resisting the corruption of society. They forgot about these, these table legs in the book of Acts. And so these hermits, they started wandering around the desert alone, fasting and praying and having, having visions and dreams. And many went to extremes, eating nothing but grass, living in trees, or refusing to wash. And so this man, say his name again, Christina, Petromius, thought this was the best way to go. But very quickly, he, he began to question the methods and the lifestyle of his mentors. Right? He, started writing, he started writing things like, how can we learn to love if no one is around us? And then he wrote, how can we learn to have humility if we're living alone? Then, then later he wrote, how can we learn kindness and gentleness or even goodness if we're isolated? How can we learn patience unless someone puts us to the test, he wrote. In short, he concluded, developing spiritual fruit requires being around people, ordinary, ordinary people. To save souls, he said, this is what he actually wrote, he didn't put ordinary. He said, to save souls, you must bring people together with you. So here's my challenge for us today. Right, as we talk about the E, embracing Christian community, and that is to step up to the table. Right, literally, step up to the table. Go on to lunch with someone this week. Invite someone over for dinner. Right, take someone uh, that you know who's sick. Take them some food. Right, get to, to know someone you don't know or, or go, go know someone that you do know but know them better. Sit around the table. Eat, drink. Right, be merry. Talk about what you learned today, what Jesus has done for you, and how you can share that with people who don't know Jesus. Talk about your small group. Commit to actually going to your small group. Get to know one either each other. Meet each other's needs. And then do it again. And again. Because embracing Christian community doesn't happen by accident. It happens when we intentionally ask ourselves, who will I do life with today? And that's the, the question there in your journal. Who will I do life with today? You can't do it alone. So take that first step and step up to the table and others will join you.